0: Hey Robbie Michaels, great news, brother! It's your old buddy Buccio. And you remember that time you said you had been a fan of the Mars Volta? The outside, survive, feeling, the heard, Do you recognize that voice? Do you recognize those vocals? That's your old mate Cedric from the Mars Volta. And you might recognise that spiky guitar style, also. That's your old mate Omar this is from the Mars Volta. This is a band called Antimask. A N T E M A S Q U E Antimask, and this came out in I think 2014. Um, you mentioned in uh, one of your recent episodes how one of the bands that you'd been into for a while. I think you were talking about it in relation to the sort of Prague side of things that I brought up and how some, uh, I mean, you said basically basically what I had said about Prague, about how it sounds like it's just clever for the sake of being clever. And that uh, Mars Volta had ended up going that way eventually. And I, I'm not going to argue with you. I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, this Anti-Mask album is... It's those two guys and, and um, I don't think anyone else from the Mask Volta is in it, but it was really those two guys who were the Mars Volta anyway, wasn't it? With a bit of a revolving gang of uh, gangsters on the other instruments. It was always Omar and Cedric's thing, really, after they broke away from At The drive And this is, it's not, it's not like At The drive but the songs are more, a lot more focused and a lot more concise, like this one is really, a lot of them are more around three minutes, just under three minutes, a little bit over three minutes, you know, whereas the Mars Volta, of course, would do meandering, um, <laughs> like sweets almost like multi-movement uh, suites and really anyone who wanted to accuse them of disappearing uh, up their own ass you know I'm not going to argue too hard but they are the one uh, prog band that I fell in love with in fact to the point where they are my favorite band of this millennium the Mars Volta and these two guys anything they do anything they put out I'm all over it I love these two guys Uh, it was it was them and Josh Homme's projects for a while especially Queens of the Stone Age and something that Queens of the Stone Age and Mars Volta and Soundgarden had in common was that adventurous was the adventurousness in terms of breaking out of conventional conventional song arrangements um, conventional rock song arrangements and going more with that metal slash prog style of things uh, where they would get a bit more sophisticated a bit more complex but not going so complex that they would disappear up their own ass and I've, I've just acknowledged that the Mars Volta could be accused of that um and they could, especially in their later albums. But um I just about to pull over, man, so I'll be right back. I'll be right back with you in zero seconds. And uh we'll pick it up. We're back, Robbie. We're back with Anton Mask. Memento Mori. The um I think where I was at was sort of putting together the Mars Volta Queens of the Stone Age and Soundgarden together in a uh, a bundle and if I had to I think the way I put it when I was talking about Soundgarden a couple weeks ago was that they were at the perfect uh, perfect's the wrong word they were at a real wondrous, <laughs> a real splendid nexus in the prog uh, slash metal um, conjunction with punk. <clears throat> and uh, the other two bands, Queens of the Stone Age and the Mars Volta. I mean, the Mars Volta almost. I guess the Mazvalter are really the ultimate prog slash punk hybrid because they really lean into the prog um, side of things and but they have that spikiness, the spikiness of punk rock, that uh, sort of aggression I don't know. It's hard to... uh, Aggression's not necessarily the right word, but... Punk rock... The whole deal with punk rock is that it keeps you on your toes. It's not... It's not comfortable to listen to, per se. It is thrilling to listen to, but... Where the thrill comes from is that... uh, Is that aggressiveness and that spikiness and that... Feeling that... There is some kind of attack going on, and this actually this reminds me of uh, one of my one of the uh, people that I studied with was in a study group with in stats. One of the uh, kids, one of the youngsters that I ended up studying with, was a biology student, and we uh, had got together for a study group one time, and I just uh, she got she was talking about what she had been learning in her most recent lecture. It was about how, it was about why listening to loud music is thrilling for uh, human beings. or for some human beings, especially guys, though. And it's because it, it sounds like, it sets off your fight or flight, basically. So, there is that, uh, the adrenaline that comes from, being faced with something aggressive potentially threatening but especially if as long as you are in control of it here's the difference between having loud music foisted upon you and having uh, and choosing to crank it up loud is that you're also in control of it so you feel safe at the same time so you sort of get the best of both worlds you get that thrill of the fight or flight adrenaline and you also get you're also in control so you secure at the same time and that's a lot of uh, punk rock and I guess metal metal has this has the same element just less so than punk rock I mean the whole deal with punk rock is that it should sound there should be a chaos to it there should be some feeling of chaos where you feel a little bit off balance is coming at you from angles you're not quite sure about it's not it shouldn't be precise like metal you, the more precise you make punk rock the less powerful it is I mean you mentioned uh, Green Day when you were um in that episode and <laughs> I mean, there have been uh, there have been kilometers of words written on the internet about whether Green Day are true punk and all that and I don't want to get into any of that nonsense, but they are an example, I mean that's why they became, they became, they were called pop punk, right? Offspring, Green Day, Good Charlotte, Uh was it, All American Rejects, there was that whole explosion of pop punk that came out basically in the wake of Nirvana, and the way that Nirvana um, showed the record labels that power chords and melodies equal big bucks and so all sorts of uh, those sort of power chord with melodies bands and you listen to the songs especially the offspring songs that first um, pushed the offspring into the mainstream and they the beats and the riffs it sounds like they're trying to be Nirvana in a lot of ways just with the different vocal you know but um, Blink-182, 182. Blink-182 182 is one that I actually like because they there is no pose with Blink-182 and they're almost a they're almost a comedy band which uh, not, not obviously not to the point that Tenacious D or Flight of the Concords are where it's where it's all about the comedy or almost all about the comedy where the comedy is the driving force uh, that's not what Blink-182 are, but they have their real, They're just they're goofballs. They're not taking themselves very seriously. They are taking songwriting seriously, and they—what should I say? Ah, they're still going. They—they they broke up and then got back together, and then I think the um, Tom DeLong is back out of the band. But they had—they do have a way with a melody and with putting a song together, which is why they got so big. It's really why they got so big because they do write a good pop song. But, you know, they're running around town with that famous video with, uh, what are they, nude? or Are they doing the socks on cocks thing? I can't remember. It's been a while since I saw it. So, whereas Green Day were more controversial because they were really, they had that whole, you know, Billy Joe. It's almost like playing dress up. It's uncomfortably close to playing dress up for them. A lot of people and then to be clear I don't uh, I've got nothing against them but I don't really think of them as punk Uh, I respect the spirit you know they went and wrote that American Idiot album you know they're not afraid to get political but um, yeah you know uh, It's kind of hard to talk about without it all getting wanky and elitist and that's one uh, one of the that's one of the reasons some people especially when you're a youngster one of the reasons they get into punk is because you can be a bit of an elitist with it but this is uh, this is true of all of those tribes all of the tribes you might get into metal is the same When you're a teenage, especially a teenage boy, I shouldn't really genderize it. Girls do the same thing. We form little tribes and you form it based around shared interests. And music, especially when you're a teenager, is a big part of how you form your tribe. And part of forming the tribe is being able to exclude outsiders. And so when you have, you come up with the rules that um, especially metal has and punk um, had. It's a real nice, it's a real nice way to be able to exclude people from being part of your tribe, and to uh, be able to tell yourself that you are better and you're more authentic, <laughs> all of that stuff. And you know, accuse accuse bands like Green Day, for example, of being sellouts. You know, they're not real punk. They're sellouts. Fun times. I mean, this is the same thing happened with Grunge, like the the original, uh, the sort of original four uh, that came out in that Seattle Seattle explosion. I mean, there was Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and Mudhoney was there too. Uh, Maybe as a second tier thing, but there were these bands that exploded out of Seattle. And then uh, sort of just behind them major labels started signing bands like uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Smashing Pumpkins, Bush and uh, you know as a kid pumpkins I should not put in that category because pumpkins I regarded even though they were from Chicago I had always thought of Pumpkins as being peers of, um, of you know, of uh, those four, the big four Seattle bands. And I used, to, you mentioned uh, you were a fan of the Pumpkins back in the day, and I was too, man. We used to uh, play a couple of their songs. Uh, and I like Billy Style. I haven't listened to them for. Y- I did have a go at listening to Siamese Dream again recently. And mayonnaise, I still, still, I really like. But that's an album that feels like it's too rooted in the '90s. I listen. I should listen to Melancholy again, and adore uh, and some of their later things. And I need to do the same again with uh, Radiohead because I was uh, big on the bands, <coughs> real big on the bands. And then I enjoyed OK Computer, and then I slowly fell off as they went through like uh, was it Idiotech and and Rainbows, which and it's interesting that you say you really got into them around that time, um, which sort of makes me want to go back and listen to those albums because I had listened to all those albums as they came out, but I, they never grabbed me, so I never kept, never stuck with them. Foo Fighters was another band you mentioned, and they are sort of in a, uh, that's a real interesting story. Like Dave Grohl had been in the biggest band on the planet. And a a legit phenomenon, an almost Beatles-esque phenomenon, Nirvana were. Crazy. Revolutionary. To go from being part of that, and then Foo Fighters are obviously nowhere near as revolutionary as Nirvana were at the time. Um, changing the uh, changing the entire landscape of uh, what was considered pop, pop music or popular music or mainstream and um, the Foo Fighters obviously never uh, were in that mould I really liked their first album which was all Dave of course, although uh, one this ties back uh, to, uh, to about a month ago the one other musician that wasn't Dave Grohl that played on their first Foo Fighters album Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs Me old mate Greg Dooley Love him Love the Afghan Wigs The Afghan Wigs Listening to them it feels like The rock version Of film noir It's like Dark alleyways, it's crimes It's the criminal Underworld I'm not even talking about the lyrics Although you know lyrics do speak to that. I'm just talking about the vibe. If there's a rock band that you need to put into a uh, category of rock noir, (laughs) that's the Afghan works. But that's an aside. Yeah, for Foo Fighters, I actually got to see the Foo Fighters in what year was it? It was late 90s, I think. Maybe early 2000s. In a real small club in Auckland. They were here for the Big Day Out, which is a festival. Well, it used to be an annual festival. Festival, Not festival. Festival. Uh, but they did this um, exclusive gig the uh, night before in a small club. And it was impossible to get tickets. But a radio station was giving away tickets. And they didn't specify what you had to do to win the tickets they said you come up with they said to the listeners you come up with your own idea of how to prove to us that you deserve these Foo Fighters tickets to this exclusive dick gig and Foo Fighters were already big this was after color and the shape so they would had hits galore Dave was already a um, you know he's an icon from being in Nirvana and the Foo, Fighter, Foo Fighters had been embraced And, you know, they were headlining this major festival, so they were already big and they are playing this small club. And the, and the, now I'm just repeating myself, I've just gone in a circle, Robbie. But, uh, my brother, my younger brother, Dion, who, uh, who is now the coach of the kids' soccer team, (laughs) my nephew's soccer team, that I was talking about the other day soccer team he <laughs> He uh, they weren't married at the time, but his who the, the woman who's his wife now then Nicolette her name is we call her Nini um, oh, I call her Nini Those who love her and are close to her call her Nini. She is a beauty therapist and including doing Brazilian waxes and so my brother <laughs> Sends in his um, email or text or whatever to the radio station, The Rock. 90.2, The Rock. And he says, I will come into the studio and get a Brazilian live on air for those tickets. And they chose him. So he went up there with Nini. Uh, were they engaged at the time? I don't know. They'd been together for a while anyway. And he'd never had a Brazilian. Or anything like that but um and she i don't think she had done a brazilian on a dude before she only did women but anyway long story short my brother goes up into the uh, studio there gets this brazilian live on air and uh it's one of those things that you know morning radio so many dumb stunts they're really uh not radio stunts like this would have been so much more powerful if they at least had a camera on my brother's face or you know obviously you couldn't show the full action but um, yeah it works radio morning radio shows love dumb stunts like this and so my brother came up with this dumb stunt and he won these tickets and and then he doesn't didn't care about Foo Fighters wasn't interested in going to this gig so Dion says uh, to me hey want to come see the Foo Fighters so me and him went and saw the Foo Fighters in the small club. I just got to go because my brother had the had the balls to go in and get his balls waxed live on air. And uh it was a bloody good show, man. The Foo Fighters put on a good show. Those are my two. Those are still my two favourite Foo Fighters albums. I don't really listen to them anymore. And my brother, that's still my brother's favourite band. I think he goes to see them every time they come to Nova Zealandia, to New Zealand. But, uh, and I used to, like Dave as a likeable dude, you know, but um, they're a little bit too straight down the line for me. I, re- I did like that song, Low. There's that video with um, Jack Black and Dave Grohl in that hotel room, and they just, looks like the two of them just went in there with handicaps, that hilarious video hilarious and there's just those two goofing around they've obviously been buddies for a long time because of course uh, Dave is the drummer for Tenacious D on um, at least one of their albums isn't he or is it just for one song? I don't know but they've drummed on Tenacious D songs um so uh yeah I enjoyed the foos but really, and, and the pumpkins back in the day, Radiohead. Head, have that exploratory element, that adventurous element. But the reason I sort of single out Soundgarden, the Mars Volta, and Queens of the Stone Age is, the, is they have the combination of the balls and the brains. And when I say that, when I see the balls, I'm not just talking about an, an aggressive edge I'm talking, of, I'm really talking about the way that it feels like that it sounds like it's made by by people who actually have sex and this comes back to the what I was saying about metal in Prague a while back where it sounds like it's made by nerds who spend, instead of being out with girls they are alone in their bedroom practicing scales that's what a lot of metal sounds like to me, and it's obviously super, super reductive and uh, disrespectful. Especially, I'm a, I'm a nerd. Why not? I got nothing against nerds. But what I want to listen to is music that it sounds like it's made by people who do have brains. But also, get out there and get amongst it. So that's why those three bands are the ones that uh, that I have elevated above others. I gotta say though, I gotta say, I have not listened to Queens of the Stone Age since the end of 2017. I don't know if you heard about this or if you saw it even, a video of Josh Harmy. On stage, it's a middle of a gig, and it's some. Uh, this is just one of those. Someone's got their phone and they're filming. Uh, Josh from, I don't know, five, seven rows back in the mosh pit. And there's a photographer on the edge of the stage. You know, just a gig photographer, an official photographer. Um, taking photos of Josh, and he walks past. He's just, it's not. Um, they're just doing some sort of instrumental section and he walks past and then he turns back and looks and he kicks backward he sort of kicks backward or slightly to the side and he kicks this photographer's lens and kicks the camera back into the photographer's face and it hits the photographer and the photographer had to go went to hospital afterwards to get I don't know if there were stitches involved but that is almost by the by The reason that I have blacklisted Josh, homie, is just for how much of a dick he looked like doing that. And here is where the... Here is where that... How do I put this? I mean, punk rock... Punk rock is about being aggressive. Rock, like rock and roll was always about being rebellious. The best rock has a rebellious edge, has an aggressive edge. Not to, t- not to the level of Gigi Allen, perhaps. I'm sure you know about Gigi Allen. If you don't, um, you might have fun looking him up. Um, yeah, there's a line that he crossed kicking a gig photographer in the face, essentially. And there had been, I mean, he had always been a little bit on the edge of being a dick, but it's hard to explain. There's sort of an awkwardness to Josh, I hes He's really good at projecting on stage, at projecting the coolness. He's got his style down. He's got his Ginger Elvis uh, character down. You know, he's a legit sex symbol. He's what is he like 6'6? Six, six, built like a brick shit house. He's a legit sex symbol, but yeah uh, shit, you know who this reminds me of? Luke Rockhold. Boom, I've never put this together before. Luke Rockhold is awkward in interviews. You must. <laughs> I was gonna say you must have noticed this, but you also don't listen to fighter interviews anymore let me know if you know what I'm talking about that Luke literal male model he's a male model good looking son of a bitch world champion world champion cage fighter like a male model world champion cage fighter it's almost something out of a it's almost something out of a you couldn't make it up bro what is he, who did he model for Ralph Lauren or something but you watch him in interviews and there's an awkwardness to him I don't know where it comes from because Josh is a good looking dude too super successful um, super respected across the world of rock um, you know a lot of a lot of bands a lot of musicians count him as uh, respect the shit out of Queens of the Stone Age and and Josh and Caius you know his other band he's played with um, John Paul Jones and them Crooked Vultures but there's an awkwardness to him in interviews and um, and and I'm not bashing people who are awkward either I don't want this to come across this way I don't want it to come across as uh, me being anti-awkwardness I mean I'm sure I'll be awkward myself in interviews I don't know I might be too much I'm enough of a goofball that I could probably who knows? I'm, no, I'm never going to have to find out, am I? <laughs> I'm not about to become uh, world famous anytime soon. But yeah, I never put that together before. Josh Homie and Luke Rockhold. Super successful, good looking sex symbols. Basically, for want of a better word, alpha males. But put them in front of a camera. Or well, not even just a camera, like you can hear it in Josh's interview with uh, Mark Maron. W2F They are not it's almost as if it's really uh, that they're not they don't have the gift of the gab I think that's what it comes down to Both of them are self-conscious about expressing themselves verbally instead of just (laughs) Instead of being more like me and just spouting nonsense and not really giving a shit I mean, I give a shit. I shouldn't say I don't give a shit. That'd be disrespectful to you, Robbie, if I really didn't give a shit. I am trying, but, uh, I am trying to be somewhat comprehensible. But, um, yeah, that's what, that's the thing that links those two guys. In interviews, you can hear that they are, they're not smooth in interviews. And they have worked on trying to find ways to become smooth in interviews. Um, but they're just not, they're just not smooth. They're not comfortable in their own skins. It's actually, uh, yeah, I'm, i might think more about this. I might try and wrap my tiny little brain around this more. There might be meat there, you let me know if you've seen the same thing. I don't. You probably wouldn't have watched any Josh Homie interviews. I don't, I don't think you've ever uh, been too much into the Queens of the Stone Age not the queens of the stone age, queens of the stone age but you will uh, maybe if you've seen enough Luke interviews you'll know what I'm talking about it's pretty interesting and here's something else, here's someone else I've I've, noticed George Clooney that might which sounds weird because he's this suave, charismatic coolest dude in Hollywood right? comfortable with goofing around in Coen Brothers films, comedies, but when you watch him on Letterman, or especially with a, this is not in all George Clooney interviews, but I would always notice it when he was on Letterman, because Letterman was so effing clever, and kind of the, I don't know how to put it. I think uh from what I remember you're more of a Conan guy fuck it you know what Conan he has a similar thing there is like an awkwardness to him he's obviously gotten real good at real good at covering it up it's a lot of uh, I think people that get into comedy get into it because they feel awkward and uncomfortable with uh being verbal Conan a tall ginger Josh Homme a tall ginger I don't usually use the word ginger but I've never liked the word ginger but I've just realised I've been using it just because it is a shorthand because it carries with it something that you'll know what I'm talking about my wife is a redhead by the way, Ree's a redhead and uh, redheads have always been my favourite girls my favourite girls what a way to put it if I had a type never really been into blondes and I've always been super into redheads and somehow just by pure dumb luck somehow Rhee has not worked out that she is way too good for me way too good looking for me way too good a person for me and I'm still with her after here we are in our 13th year together 14th year together and knock on all the wood that uh, she never works out She's way too good for me. Anyway, back to uh, back to the point. Conan, there is a... He's never 100% comfortable. I hear it in his podcasts, too. There is like a nervous energy that comes with Conan. And it's part of what makes him, makes him likable, in a way. The fact that he's never 100% comfortable. The fact that he always feels like he's working real hard like he's not really a natural he's super funny he's real funny real entertaining but he's not a natural he's naturally funny he's not naturally he's not natural at what am I trying to say here he's not a natural presenter is that what I'm trying to say I don't know, but there's an ease, for example, that Jay Leno has. There's an ease that uh, Letterman had, and I would watch and to be clear again. I'm always saying to be clear. I would watch Conan over Jay Leno every day of the week. I would watch Letterman over all of them. Letterman was my man when it came to the uh, late night show hosts. Actually, it was the what's his name Ferguson. Ferguson also had. There was an insecurity. He didn't have that ease that Jay had or that uh, Letterman had. And it's fascinating to watch guys like Conan and Ferguson. Um, It's almost more, I mean, part of it is that there's a tension that comes with watching them and listening to them do their thing because you can feel that nervousness. But you're also rooting for them. Especially Conan, he's a, I've always found him a real sympathetic uh, person to watch, you know, you root for him, and of course he went through all that stuff with Jay, well not with Jay personally, but you know what I'm talking about, with The Tonight Show, and uh, and uh, it's a shame that it worked out the way it worked out, but he's doing alright, what is he, he's a multi-millionaire, super successful, we don't need to feel too bad for him, but you sort of do, right, because his dream, that had been his dream since he was a kid. And they didn't really give him a fair shot. Uh, so I guess this there's not really a Rob Show topic request in this one, Robbie. But um, I guess just in general, if you feel like it, if you have any thoughts about the late night uh, hosts, holla at your boy. I wouldn't mind hearing them. So we've wandered way away from uh, the Mars Volta now, and music in general. But um, and uh, again, I want to emphasize this again, none of these Rob Show Topic requests should ever feel like assignments, you should never feel any pressure from any of this stuff. It should only be fun, I never want this to feel like homework for you. What I'm hoping is that there's some sort of inspiration that you get, some sort of spark that um, sparks you off and uh, inspires you to talk about uh, any any of the any of these things that might uh, interest you or that you might have thoughts on. And so this is just another one of those things. Who, uh, if I had to guess, Conan was your favourite or is your favourite? I don't think you watch it anymore, do you? I don't think you watch him anymore. Um, did you watch Letterman? Did you watch Ferguson? I'm pretty sure you don't watch Fallon. The other Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, holy shit, why can't I think of his name? Kimmel. <laughs> I've always liked Kimmel. I, he's not the most, like, he's not Letterman. He's obviously not Letterman. He's not uh, Conan level either, but he, he's another one that is comfortable. Fallon seems, I don't watch a lot of Fallon. He seems fairly comfortable too. Mmm, is he? Not, He's not on the level of Kimmel. Like, Kimmel, Letterman, and Leno all feel like they're at home. They've, they, they've, When you're watching them, they feel like they're at home. Behind their desk. They, never, they feel like they always will be comfortable. No matter what their guest says, no matter what happens, they'll be able to handle it. And, uh... Anyway. What are your thoughts on all of that stuff? If you have any, if you don't have any, if you don't give a shit about late night hosts, don't worry about it. Just drop this one. This, these are just suggestions, Robbie. There should never be any pressure for Octavius for his uh, <laughs> for his requests. Maybe for him that you have, you uh, that you should feel pressure and you should treat them like homework assignments. That's between you and Octavius, who I wish would do some of these recordings now that I've started doing them and in fact that's what I should do in the Rob Show Topic request thread I'll put a request for Octavius to do one of these recordings I've got no idea if he has time or if he has the wish (laughs) it's me talking about you not feeling any pressure and now I'm thinking I should put pressure on Octavius what nonsense what am I even talking about Robbie? the good news is you know what that beeping means that means it's time to wrap this up we are just about home. So, let's go out with the Mars Volta. Why not? I still really enjoy them. I still uh, get off on them. So, until next time, this is your old buddy, Buccio and the Mars Volta. And we are Out.